the opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. I'm Brett Rutherford filling in for William Haynes on this Monday evening. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online around the world at wvfs.fsu.edu. If you miss a second of the show, you can go back and listen to it as a podcast wherever podcasts are found. You can also go back and listen to every episode we've we've done for the last few years. I believe they're all archived on there, including the most recent one last week, hosted by William Haynes. Uh, also, you can call into the show if you want to talk some sports tonight. You can call us at 850-644-1837. That's 850-644-1837. Six four four one eight three seven. We would love to hear from you on this Monday evening. To my left, it's been a while. I am joined by former producer of this program. He's back in producing tonight, but also sitting in the co-host chair. Uh, it's Scott Clemens. Scott, what's going on? I've been doing all right. I am usually kind of behind the glass. That was kind of where I... Good job there. But uh, I usually kind of reserve myself in that space, so it's nice every once in a while kind of get get back out front and just kind of see what I can do and just talk sports with a bunch of good friends. And I'm very happy to be here tonight. We, we talked, we were talking before the show, uh, it, we, it, this is our favorite time of year in Tallahassee. There's no one here, no traffic, the, the restaurants, there's there's no wait, uh, there's no lines at the bars. It is it is beautiful. And I did see, though, coming in today, the, the move-in signs telling parents and new students where to go for certain residence halls. And uh, that's, for me, that means my summer's over because that means we're going to have a ton of new people here and it's uh, it just won't be as enjoyable. I mean, as fun and as kind of convenient as, as it is for Tallahassee to be uh, as Tallahassee is in the summer, it does feel kind of empty right now. And yeah. so, like, wh- while you may be looking at it and thinking, oh, my God, the Bulls is going to be packed out again on Thursday. <laughs> I There's something in the air about when students are coming back where it's like, yes, everything is back to where it should be. I, I like that and in the so, fall because that means football season starting. Oh, heck yeah. But like summer, it's like uh, it's going to keep getting hotter. And the heat wave we've been going through is, is insane. It's hotter here than it is in like Miami or Tampa or anywhere close to the water because we don't have that. We're not we're inland, right? We, we're just baking that oh, over here in Tallahassee. Oh, yeah, it's all a mess, man. Um, anyways, uh, let's jump into it. NBA Finals wrap-up last week. The Golden State Warriors win their, their fourth title in eight years. They take down the Boston Celtics in six games. Steph Curry wins his first-ever Finals MVP, right? That was the one thing that had been eluding him. He didn't win it either the first three trips. You had Andre Iguodala, Kevin Durant. Uh, but this year, I don't think there was any doubt um, I know we had like one rough game where Andrew Wiggins stepped up. Jordan Poole was great. Clay Thompson, uh, but Steph Curry wins the Finals MVP, and I don't think there was any doubt for anybody who watched that series in its entirety that he that he was going to bring home that hardware. I mean, I that was kind of the factor all series was that if Warriors were going to pull pull this off, Steph was going to have to carry the mantle, and that's that's exactly what he did, and that's kind of and. That's how we got kind of this spot today. And there are a lot of people who will maybe kind of detract from his legacy because they maybe don't like how kind of he changed the game more or less. They don't really like the rise of three-point shot and how there there's less physicality in, in the league. But I think what 
this kind of position did what what he pulled off in this final series has cemented him as one of the greatest players the league has ever seen yeah definitely average 31.2 points per game and you could kind of see how boston changed their game plan right I mean, it, it's not like Clay Thompson. It's not like we were watching vintage Clay Thompson. He did average 17 points. He shot 35% from beyond the arc, 35% from the field in total. But it wasn't the Clay Thompson maybe before the injuries happened a few years back when they were on that run where they won the three titles. Um, but he was still obviously a great player. But Boston was, I mean, bringing out their bigs to guard Steph on the perimeter, and it didn't matter. He was able to cut through space, get to the rim, and also just continue to knock down threes. He shot 43.7% from three. And it was, I think, that, that it, it, it didn't need to be because I think he was already one of the, the game's greatest ever. But that this is, I think, when you look back at his career, you're going to look back at this series in particular and say that was the career-defining moment for him. It, when, when you have that discussion of where does he rank in best point guards of all time, does he come anywhere close to a Magic Johnson, you're going to look back at this series and the way he really carried the Warriors. And they're a great team, right? And they've been, they were a great team all season, and it was really a matter of them getting fully healthy. We said that, you know, the, the Warriors, they had the number one pick in the draft not that long ago, right, taking James Wiseman, who wasn't even a part of this run with the injuries he's dealing with. This was reminiscent, I think, of that, that first championship before they got Kevin Durant to win the other two, and they didn't need him to win those two, but they, they got him, and they, they, you know, fair play to them, won a couple more trophies. Uh, but you really kind of saw the, the Steve Kerr, Golden State vision play out here, the way they play, the way they pass, that, that fast-paced, space the floor, Play, play really good defense both on the perimeter and inside. I know a lot of people like to clown on Draymond Green for his lack of offensive production, but his role has really kind of transformed during his time in Golden State. And in this series, everybody played a role. I mean, you go down the list, like I mentioned, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, who if there was anybody other than Steph that had an MVP shout, it, it was Wiggins, although Steph really pulled away as the series went on. Otto Porter, Kevon Looney. You still had Andre Iguodala, who was in 4.8 minutes per game throughout the series and kind of like a, like a player coach, coach almost. Talk about somebody that understands. He's won a finals MVP for Golden State before. I, I, again, I think when you look back at the Golden State dynasty, this is going to be maybe the, the one you remember. Uh, you, they, they lost two finals. They lost to Toronto and they lost to, to Cleveland that one year. But you look at this, and this is this was a really good Boston team. And I know a lot of people want to talk about Jason Tatum and uh, maybe how he struggled late in the series. But I think props to Golden State for the way they game planned against an amazing defensive team in Boston and ultimately over overcome them and, and, and win their fourth title. It is certainly interesting. And I don't think it's certainly kind of closing time for this Warriors team. It's I certainly don't think we're that far down the road yet but you do there is kind of this feeling in the air of where it's like this was like i think their best shot at winning another tro winning another title like i i don't know with obviously uh like the clock's ticking on a lot of these players like Tom yeah. thompson green curry I iguodala they're like this was kind of like the best shot for this warriors team to win another title, win a fourth title for Steve Kerr and company. And it cements their legacy as a dynasty. It does, a, it says a whole lot of thing, I think, about what went down 
with kind of the KD saga and how they kind of had to rebuild and then come back and that whole mess as everything happened. But you really, like, you really get a sense of, like, this this era seems to be more about appreciating what Golden State has accomplished as opposed to, oh, no, this is another super team that we're going to have to break down again. Like, the mm-hmm. feeling on this title, I think, is a lot different than certain than some of the other two were. Or... Yeah, and this is a deep team. This is a team, I think, organizationally, the, the, the way the Golden State front office put this roster together. They knew ex- their specific needs, their specific wants for how they wanted to construct a roster. Steve Kerr, you know, seminal in that. Like, he was, he's a huge part of that. But every other member of that front office, to, to recruit and bring in players like a Jordan Poole, who would probably, like for most other teams, would be a 30, 35-minute-a-night player. He played like 20 minutes a night because obviously you've got Curry and Thompson that are going to play the one and two for Golden State as much as possible when they're healthy. But Poole as a role player on this team, you look at the series he had, shot 43.5% from the field, averaged 13.2 points per game. He can shoot from anywhere. He can knock down huge shots. And he, he, he was a big part of this championship. And I think you're right, though. I think the window is starting to close. I still think this team could do it again next year. You look at the rest of the league, I think this is a team that's more than capable of winning an NBA title again in 2023. But that window was starting to close, and I think it was it was important for their legacy, not like they needed it. They already had three. But if you really want to look at this as one of the best dynasties in the history of the sport, in the modern sport, because you, you go back into the 60s and 70s when it was just the Celtics winning everything, and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Russell won, like, what, 11 titles or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I think, yeah, like 10 or 11. Yeah, but, that, I mean, again, like, who was the competition there? Like, now you've got, I think, and we talked about it before uh, in previous weeks when I would come in here, like, the parity in the league right now it's a healthy league. You've got many teams that can compete for a championship. Not every team is just trying to rebuild and tear it down. I think you've got you're in a really healthy spot right now. But to see Golden State overcome that, and I know there were some injuries like John Morant getting hurt in that series against Memphis, um, that, that that helped them along the way. But that's going to happen. Like I mean, look what happened when they lost the finals to Toronto. You look at the injuries they dealt with there, losing Kevin Durant. And Clay Thompson, yeah. they would have been the NBA champions that year as well. So you have what was it, twenty sixteen, when Chris Paul gets hurt in Houston, and uh, they probably don't win that series if you have both CP three and James Harden go yeah. doing what they can do. Like in like injuries is just stuff that happens in the league, and yes, you know maybe it's unlucky, but it's just something. As a team, you have to be able to deal with, you have to be able to prepare for in case it happens. And uh, Golden State, they got lucky on that side of the coin, and uh, it shows they won the title. Yeah, and uh, let's talk about Boston for a little bit, because this is a team that I think is their window is, is open right now, and they're going to be back competing for NBA championships. You look at the, their, their main duo of, of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I know there was a lot of hate going Jason Tatum's way, like only two points in the second half of that game six. But overall, this is an all-star player. This is a player that is is, going to get himself involved in MVP discussions throughout his career. He's still very young. Uh, Jalen Brown was great. He led the Celtics in points per game in the finals, played almost 40 minutes per game, was knocking down 43.1% from the field, um, and and a good defensive player as well. 7.3 rebounds, 3.7 assists. Uh, Jason Tatum, 21.5 points per game. 
Al Horford, I think, was kind of the big story this postseason. The old man getting it done, you know, knew his role and and was a huge part. He played 31.8 minutes per game at his age. That That's just incredible. And I thought, had a good series, too. Uh, it's hard to match up against Golden State, and they're going to make sure that Draymond and Kevon Looney are, you know, down low beating this man up. But ultimately, forcing them to six games, you look at where they were, like a third or even halfway through the season, I don't think many would have expected them to be there. But they really were at the forefront of this change in style we've seen this season in the NBA where it has become more of a defensive game. We're not seeing as many games that are 136 to 132 anymore. Um, you, you're seeing Boston played many games. Like whenever they play Miami, I, you know, in the regular season or even the postseason, it would be like 89 to 86. Like it was, was this game played in 1991? Like it's just not the NBA that we've uh, come to know over the last few years. And I think that part of that's the way – uh, the the rule changes or the interpretation of the rule with officiating and sending guys to the free throw line. I think that changed this year. I think that was good for the game of basketball, or at least from from a spectator's perspective and in, in watching games. Um, so to see them kind of lead that charge and be that defensive minded team that also has some really great scorers in Tatum and Brown get this far, two games away from an NBA championship was was a lot of fun. And I think I think they'll be back. But yeah, it's certainly something where if you look at the setup of this team, this is a very young team. These are still guys that I think are growing into their peak. Healthy core, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Mar- Marcus Smart. Like that's a really healthy core. And I'm if you're looking at who else is in the East, like you have uh, Miami, who could could be an issue. You uh, you have Gian- Giannis Antetokounmpo, and yeah, you have Giannis and Chris Middleton, who Maybe if Chris Middleton's healthy, maybe it's uh, the Bucks and and plays the Celtics here. But it's certainly I'm not looking at the East and being like, oh my God, the Celtics are like, you know, this is such a powerhouse conference. It's never they're never going to get back to this point again. You're looking at the Celtics and you're really seeing a strong future with this team. Yeah, closing the book on this NBA season. Uh, we're already getting some off season news. There's a report by um, from the Athletic today that uh, Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. They're who could have seen this coming, right? Uh, they might not be on the best of terms right now, and he might be looking for his next team. Uh, bi- you know, big shocker to anybody who I <laughs> I like respect respectfully for Kyrie. I really do not care. Well, like, but I, let's say he, so. The two names that were mentioned, and again, it's still still very early. Free agency hasn't started. There's there's not going to be any trades for. Pro- Probably a couple of weeks. I don't really know the timeline there. The Lakers and Knicks were the two teams that were mentioned in the report. I mean, if he goes to the Knicks, I, I, yeah, he's he's a great player. He's an all-star when he's there, but I don't think he turns them into championship contenders. Now, the, the question is, if he goes to the Lakers, and I don't know what it would take to get him there in terms of moving people, although the Lakers were a colossal failure this season, does Kyrie and LeBron, assuming, hey, who knows, assuming LeBron is still with the Lakers, does that put the Lakers, you know, they're only two years removed from an NBA title themselves. Does Kyrie join that roster? Let's say they, they don't have Russell Westbrook anymore, but they're able to keep LeBron and Anthony Davis. Does that turn them into title contenders again? I I would have to kind of disagree with that notion. I think if you're looking at the Brooklyn Nets this year, I think it is really telling that like or honestly if you're looking at the NBA overall in relation to Brooklyn Nets it's really telling to me that the two teams that were in the finals it was Kyrie Irving's former team against Kevin Durant's former team 
and <laughs> yeah. you're looking at it, and Kyrie Irving's definitely a good player. He's definitely a talent. Maybe getting back with LeBron is like could be good for his career, but you're also looking at it. I think the Lakers should not be looking at bringing in any more kind of ringers, right? You Where we tried that with Russell Westbrook, you tried that kind of bringing in a bunch of old players who are maybe hungry and need a title, and then what happened? It didn't work. You, it Colossal failure, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that Kyrie is at that level yet, but it. I don't think that that's a good mood for – good move for the Lakers. I don't think that's a good move for Kyrie considering a lot of the trouble that he got into with uh, the Brooklyn Nets this year. California is not going to be any easier on his situation than New York is. Yeah. And so it, I don't think that that's really a good move for anybody. Yeah. And, I, who knows? I mean, it, it doesn't shock me that he's trying to leave. Like you mentioned him he only played in a handful of regular season games and the Nets were another colossal failure, so it doesn't shock me that they're trying to blow that up. Uh, I don't know what Kevin Durant does. They already traded James Harden. They brought in Ben Simmons, who didn't appear in a game for them this season. So they're a mess, probably probably just as much as the Lakers, if we're being honest. I'm sure there'll be plenty of NBA news throughout the summer as free agency starts to heat up, and there'll be some crazy trades. Uh, NBA draft Thursday. Yeah, NBA draft. Let's touch on that quickly. Uh, John Butler declares for the draft after one year playing at Florida State. Now, now, what I had heard is that John Butler, uh, Leonard Hamilton, and, and his coaching staff were kind of advising Butler to stay in college for one more year. And his staff is known, and Hamilton himself is known for encouraging players when he believes they're ready, when he truly believes they're ready, to go to the draft, to go pro, to not stick around. I've heard the sto- stories about Pat Williams that he actually wanted to come back. He really wanted to come back and play one more year at Florida State after COVID happened and their shot at a national title was stolen from them. And Hamilton said, no, you need to go now. And look, he was drafted fourth overall. And he was he's a great player for the Chicago Bulls, went healthy. I know he's dealt with a couple you know weird injuries, nothing serious that's going to linger throughout his career. But John Butler, I had heard that that the, the, the he was being urged to stay, and maybe against Ham's wishes or not wishes, but advice, uh, decided to to pursue his professional career in the NBA. I've seen some some mocks where he's you know mocked to go in the second round, but I don't think it's a sure thing. He's not going to get anywhere near the first round. What are your thoughts on on Butler leaving early and and, and trying to get drafted here? It's, I mean, it's certainly interesting. I don't think kind of when it comes to Butler staying, I don't know if the chemistry around the Florida State basketball team this year was as solid as it had been in past years. And so if you're talking about, like, if we're comparing it to maybe Pat Williams wanting to come back uh, after uh, being denied possibility of going for a title and having a unit that was as cohesive as it was, I don't necessarily believe that is fair. But, like, I mean, Butler, when, like, he was a good player at Florida State, but I agree with the kind of notion of, like, maybe he would have been better served by uh, playing an extra year, maybe get some more minutes, maybe he's a starter. Yeah, I mean, he was my favorite player on this team this last year, a team that was not very good. Uh, But to, to bring him back, you've got Matthew Cleveland back. Um, the recruiting class is okay, and, and I think the guy they just signed, Baba Miller out of Spain, is kind of the, the replacement for 
of Butler. If Butler was back, I don't think Florida State gets him. But it, it would, I would have really liked Maybe that's Mike Neese. I don't know where he's going to be drafted. Maybe he gets a great deal picked in, you know, early in the second round and goes on to have a great NBA career. I hope he does. But it feels like this is a little bit too early. And I think you're seeing in, you know, in, in basketball specifically, some of these guys, there's only two rounds in this draft, right? And even guys that get picked in the second round, it's hard to break in to an NBA to an NBA roster. There's only so few spots on any of these 30 teams. And that's not to say you can't have a successful professional career that's not in the NBA. There's plenty of great leagues around the world. But I think like he could have been a lock for the first round if he had stayed, continued to develop. He's such an interesting player. He's got that that you know that seven he's seven feet tall, but he's a, he's a perimeter player, right? And that's kind of becoming uh, uh, the the biggest commodity in the NBA right now. But if you, so, if you can perfect that and play as like he would play as as like a wing, but he could also go down low and defend and rim protect. And he was my favorite player to watch. I just really wish we had one more year to watch him develop with this team, with this program. And uh, hey, again, I I wish him the best, but I, I I'm just questioning that decision. Yeah, all all the best to him. Uh, ultimately, uh, he, I'm sure he talked with agents and uh, yeah, you had mentioned kind of yeah. his conversation with Hamilton. Maybe had a couple conversations with family and maybe what their financial situation mm-hmm. was looking at. Like it could there there are a lot more factors to this decision other than uh, whether or not like he's gonna be like, am I first round pick material right now? And I. Ultimately, you know, we just got to sit sit here as personally as a fan of Florida State basketball. Yeah, you're maybe a little disappointed that you're not going to see him garner goal goal next year. But hey, you got to wish the wish the guy the best and continue pushing the Florida State brand in the NBA. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of times we see people go early and you think, oh, well, they're not going in the first round. Why would you go early? A lot of these guys, there is a small window and. It's becoming a um, a benefit or a, or a pro to go leaving early um, if you're young, right? You, it's a lot harder, you know. A lot less guys are getting drafted at age 22, 23. There are a lot of those guys in college basketball right now. But even if you if you can go out and be a second rounder at age 19, might be better than being undrafted or a second or a, you know a first rounder at 22, 23 years old. So, I I, I think it's an interesting decision by Butler again. Wish him the best, but. Uh, let's talk like number one pick, Orlando Magic. So in our home state of Florida, or my home state of Florida, uh, Orlando Magic getting the number one pick. And it sounds like it's not going to be Chet Holmgren. I know he was kind of mocked as the number one overall pick for a while for most of the college basketball season. He was the number one recruit out of high school, had a pretty good season with Gonzaga. They lost in the tournament. They were the number one overall seed going into that tournament in large part because of his play. Uh, but it looks like maybe... Jabari Smith from Auburn. Uh, what What are your thoughts? What, if you were the Orlando Magic, which seems like a, just a directionless franchise, what would you do with that number one overall pick? I mean, the big three, as it's being kind of reported right now, are Chet Holmgren, uh, Jabari Smith, and then uh, Paolo Bancaro. Pers- for me personally, I am not as big on Bancaro as some of these other scouts have been. I... Uh, I was at the game when Duke came down here to Tallahassee didn't really play well and really just kind of watching this team Duke really managed to blow it in ev- on the biggest stage in every opportunity possible and if you're looking for a guy who's going to be your number one pick that who's going to be leading your team that's not really something 
that you want to see. So I don't think I go that direction. Whether it comes between uh, Holmgren or Jabari Smith, I think Smith is probably the better athlete. Uh, Auburn's blossomed into a major program here over the past few years past few seasons under Bruce Pearl and it's showing and Jabari Smith was a major part of their success this year and so if I'm Orlando Magic that's probably where I'm gonna go but ultimately like I don't think you if you're an Orlando Magic fan I don't think you're booing if it's Chet Holmgren that's announced as number one pick. Yeah, there's not a can't-miss player in this draft. I think you're looking at guys with the highest upside, maybe Smith, maybe a Jaden Ivey out of Purdue. Um, I think there's a, maybe he's got a lower floor than these guys, but he's got a higher ceiling. He's drawing comparisons uh, to, to like John Morant, and I think that's probably a little far-fetched. But, hey, that's what happens You know, during during draft season is the, they're going to get these, these, these very lofty, uh, comparisons to to NBA All Stars, uh, it, it will be interesting. The draft is this week, uh, and again, not a can't miss player. I mean, we're, we're only a few years removed from the draft where you had Zion Williamson, John Moran, R.J. Barrett, and it was like, I mean, each of these guys is projected to be an NBA All Star, and and one of them has been, and I think Williamson, when healthy, is is definitely of that caliber as well. Um, before we go to break, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about. Uh, Florida State baseball. I know they talked about it last week. Uh, Mike Martin Jr. fired. Uh, shockingly, I don't know. I mean, I think some people were not shocked. I was a little shocked. I thought he'd get one more year. Um, but ultimately, Florida State baseball, it, just a little disappointing. Back to back seasons. I think the best team of the uh, meet tenure would have been his 2020 team, the year that was cut up, cut short due to COVID. So I think it's a little unfair to him to really only get two seasons. At the helm, they made the postseason in both in both years, but ultimately, were you, were you shocked by by this decision? I, I mean, the Sharks were kind of circling in the water for a little bit, and so we knew that maybe something was coming. And ultimately, I think every, a a lot of people thought that maybe he was going to get another year, and that was going to be the hot seat year. Yeah, that but was my thought. Uh, ultimately, you know. Uh, Michael Alford, FSU athletic director, just wanted to make a decision. Maybe he had talks with certain people kind of within in the program and felt that it was the right time to pull the trigger. It is kind of when you think about Martin Jr. and you can point to kind of certain situations and say that maybe it it was unfair timing for him, but ultimately... Uh, I'm not really privy to a lot of stuff that was going on kind of behind closed doors inside that program. And so you just kind of like, yes, it happened. And now we just kind of got to look towards the future, I think. Yeah, the Sharks were circling on on social media for sure. And and I guess what I I guess what none of us are privy to is the the decision makers at Florida State, what their thoughts were at watching this season unfold, because there's always going to be people on on Twitter, the, the anti-Martin family, Florida State baseball fans, of which they are a very loud and or vocal contingent. Uh, they were always, you know, even if we had lost in a super or lost and made it to Omaha and lost, they were going to be calling for his job because they didn't like the hiring from day one. I talked about that with Ryan Kelly and Ari Masudi when they were in studio a few weeks ago. Um, we, we, weren't, we weren't expecting a head coaching change then, and I think we were all a little shocked when it happened. 
Um, but I think it is kind of a, 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 sta- a, a statement made by, by the new athletic director, Michael Alford. You talk about the, the transition he's kind of overseeing right now at Florida State in the athletic department. You had Coach Sue Semral retire from women's basketball. Mark Krikorian resigned from women's soccer. Uh, there were rumors, and well, they're, they're, I think they were kind of confirmed to be more than rumors, that Texas A&M had made a very generous offer to Lonnie Alameda Show to me the money. head to College Station and... I think that was a huge win for her for 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 Michael Alford to keep her in Tallahassee to 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 meet her requests over facilities and salary and everything. That is a a huge win because I don't think there there might not be a better coach in all of college softball than Lonnie Alameda, and then now making a change at baseball. So that three head coaches were, were hiring going into the next school year. At the same time, Mike Norvell coming off of some two <laughs> terrible seasons and you could talk about why they were terrible covid you know what he's had to deal with as a head coach already taking over a bad roster but now i'm looking at, at mike norvell and thinking okay look how quickly he just fired martin jr again two completely different sports the buyout for mike norvell after this season would be a lot higher than if they had to buy out martin jr at all i don't know i'm sure they did so it'll be a decision pro- different decision making process altogether but do you think maybe Mike Norvell is more so on the hot seat now than he was a couple of weeks ago when we, you know, when Mike Martin Jr. was still employed here at Florida State? I I would kind of disagree with that statement. I think there are a lot of people who are like there's been a lot of kind of a grace that's been given to Mike Norvell kind of with with this program because everyone knew what coming in what the situation was and where kind of the program had uh where kind of the program had kind of fallen over the past couple of years plus added covid plus all these other things going on mm-hmm. and also norvell just signed an extension what like few like yeah. one of the first op- opening things so i don't think that all alford is i don't think we're quite there yet to where people where questions are looming over Mike Norvell's job. Are we, if there's another uh, potentially disastrous season for Florida State, are we having the same conversation? I I don't think so. But, like, it's kind of like a matter of, I think, this year Mike Norvell is going to be the coach no matter what. I think Mm -hmm. next year, barring huge disaster, Mike Norvell will probably still be the Seminoles head football coach. But... It does kind of it is kind of interesting to see where where Alford is willing to kind of pull the trigger a little bit. Now we know he is supposedly a baseball guy and that he played college baseball and that this is supposed to be his area of expertise. And so I think that plays a lot into why uh meat probably got the boot a little early. But I think if we're talking about it in re- relation to Mike Norvell, I think we're, barring major disaster, I think Mike Norvell is going to be football coach at FSU for the long term. Yeah, I, I well, yeah, I'm, I'm a little skeptical about the future of the program under Mike Norvell. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, show me, you know, don't tell me anymore. Show me. I don't think he's on the hot seat this year. I think he the way the season progresses, especially if they get off to a really slow start, there's a chance that seat could get warmer because it's all about recruiting, right? If they can't get the kids in in this next class, then there's just not really a path forward for Mike Norvell and this coaching staff. And the big part of that is going to be winning games early. So 
we'll wrap up talking Florida State and then go into the uh, Stanley Cup final, which I've kind of been reluctant to talk about on the other side. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS, the voice of Florida State. And we're back on Tomahawk Talk. Uh, Scott, we were kind of wrapping up the first half talking about uh, Mike Norvell. <laughs> we, we started the conversation with Florida State baseball. Uh, but then we kind of transitioned into what it means for the rest of Florida State athletics. I kind of wanted to briefly go over, and I know they talked about it a little bit on last week's show, some potential replacements for Mike Martin Jr. Um, Link Jarrett, I think, is the hot name. He's currently coaching in Omaha with Notre Dame in the college, at the College World Series. I mean, he has got to be the top target for, for Florida State right now. I mean, certainly. That's the kind of the top name that all kind of fans are throwing around, all kind of like fan-led media and beat writers. That's the hot name that everyone's kind of talking about. There are some others kind of... I think a lot of people are... Hap- Sorry, excuse me. People are having a lot of fun throwing kind of Link Jarrett his name around there. There are a couple people jokingly, I think, kind of throwing like David Ross's name out there. That's. I don't think that that there's really a lot of strength behind that, but certainly within all uh, fan circles, it's been Link Jarrett or Bust. I think, and yeah. it's really easy to kind of see why when uh, you're watching. Notre Dame kind of kick butt in Omaha and Getting all there, these... Taking down Tennessee in the Knoxville Super, like, that that was huge. Yes, and so when you're seeing kind of the success of what Coach Jarrett has been able to do at Notre Dame while you're kind of sitting at home after getting kind of destroyed in a regional against Auburn and kind of, like, kind of being like, oh, we should have, like, that should be us. We should be there. It certainly makes sense as to why uh, Link Jarrett's name is being thrown around as a possible, uh, as the possibly the next baseball coach at Florida State. It does make the most sense, but it's not going to be easy, right? He's already got a job at a school that has a lot of money, and even though baseball might not be the top of their priority list or nowhere near the top of their priority list, they probably know what they have in Link Jarrett. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, have they ever been to Omaha? I, I don't know. I, I I apologize that I don't know the history of Notre Dame baseball. I am also a little short on <laughs> history of Notre Dame baseball, but I would imagine if they have been, it's not a like reoccur- It's not a common occurrence. Exactly, for them, is what I would imagine. So they might want to keep Link. I mean, I'm sure they do want to keep Link Jarrett. So they're 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 probably going to make an offer for a contract extension and. Maybe he decides he really loves life up in South Bend and coaching the Fighting Irish. So it's not going to just be like, all right, come on down, Link Jarrett. Like the Florida State's going to have to pay up. They're probably going to have to make some promises in terms of facilities, just like they made to Coach Alameda in softball and the new soccer coach that came in. I mean, Florida State is behind the eight ball compared to schools within our own league, right? Obviously, you'll hear the comparisons to some of the SEC schools and the facilities they have for sports other than football. Florida State's behind even other ACC schools, and they are one of the preeminent brands for college baseball, not only in this conference, but for the entire country. And so it's not going to be easy to get Link Jarrett. Yeah, he seems like the the most perfect fit, and I think that's probably because he is. But you've got to pay the man. You, you, you've got to show him what Florida State has to offer. right? You really have to woo him. You're recruiting him right, to come down here. Some, some other names, I know Mike Bell at Pitt, James Ramsey was thrown around. I think he's probably got to cut his teeth a little bit more as a coach before he steps into a job as big as Florida State head coach. Yeah, I mean, if 
we're looking at the kind of again referencing kind of Martin Jr. and a lot of kind of knocks on him when he got the job was that he was a little inexperienced. If you're uh, replacing him with a guy who probably had less experience, then that's a little that I think. Uh, the alarms are going to be going off. And even yeah. if it's a really big n- name in baseball, in FSU baseball that uh, Ramsey was, it's still, like, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the greatest move uh, that would be on Alfred's part. But if that's the check that cashes, then, you know, then go with it. Let's, you know, if that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. Yeah, the other name, and he, his name was thrown around, I, I, he was interested in the job in 2019 when Martin Jr. was hired, is Jeff Johnson over at Chipola College in Mariana. Uh, he is one of the, the the most well-regarded junior college coaches in the country, and I know, you know, there's a lot of people that say, no, what are we going to do, hire a junior college coach? But I think there are intricacies of junior college baseball and how to run a program that, like, a team like a Chipola most years could compete at the Division One level. They're that good. And what people don't understand, junior college baseball, you can offer full scholarships, which doesn't happen at the Division One level. Um, so they're, 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 they're competitive. And you can also go pro after a year. So he's coached four major league all-stars at Chipola, won two national championships at the junior college level. Um, I don't I mean, I, I, he would come in behind Link Jarrett, but it wouldn't shock me. I know he was heavily considered the last time around. They eventually hired Martin Jr., it wouldn't shock me if he's interested in that again. And it wouldn't shock me if, if he becomes a, a finalist for this job and maybe a, one of the backup plans if, if they can't land Link Jarrett. Yeah. I think certainly if there's a kind of there's an outside candidate, more more or less, y'all can't see the air quotes that I did <laughs> when we're looking at outside candidates, but I think that's certainly a name you can throw out there. Another kind of outside guy that's been thrown around is... Uh, Godwin is the last name on it. Cliff Godwin, mm. who is uh, currently the coach at ECU. That's yeah. been another guy from kind of media standpoint that's been thrown around as a potential kind of outside candidate. But I think luring him away from East, ECU is going to be a tough job. He's an East Carolina grad. Like, that's his alma mater, and he's taken them to kind of heights and taken them to uh, a lot of heights and kind of massive success. And so that's, again, that's going to be another uh, really hard decision to make. One name that I do kind of want to throw out thrown out here, and it's been, I think, mentioned a little quieter across some of the circles, is uh, Chris Hart, who mm. is a Florida State guy. He's mm-hmm. currently kind of the associate head coach, kind of hitting coach at NC State. Yeah. NC State barely kind of misses out of regionals this Pro- year. Probably should, shouldn't have. They probably should have been included. Yeah, yeah. you could certainly kind of argue they should have been there. Was a had a really successful run in the tournament last year, two years ago, somewhere uh, kind of close to there. But certainly when you're looking at where kind of these Florida State teams have struggled, a lot of it was kind of offensively. It was generating enough sustained output on offense where everyone knew pitching was – was there but it was offensively was Florida State had a ton of issues and if you're looking at a guy who could solve those problems I think Chris Hart could be a name that's maybe a little lower on the watch list someone who may not have the buzz that Mm -hmm. a guy like Link Jarrett's gonna have but I'm sure certainly a name that's gonna be on Michael Alford's radar the other thing you got to think, well, 
mentioning Hart, uh, I wonder what his. I know Tommy Tommy White, the big power hitting uh, freshman at NC State, is in the transfer portal, and it was kind of heavily rumored that Florida State was going to be his destination. Now, all of that changes when there's a regime change when there's a new head coach being brought in. But it sounds like White's decision to transfer out of NC State was because he wanted to be back in his home state of Florida. He was friends with a lot of players on Florida State's roster. I don't know if it had anything to do with his relationship with the head coach, uh, but maybe if Florida State brings him in, it secures Tommy White. Not saying you should make any head coaching decisions based on one recruit. That's That almost never works out. Um, I don't even know if it's been done before, but uh, it, it, it would maybe help Florida State in securing the transfer for of Tommy Tanks as he is more commonly known, um, which I'm sure would come with, with some huge NIL deals. Madison Social is probably already printing the T-shirts um, for, for, for Tommy White's arrival, if that is what occurs. Kind of overall, though, you know, Link Jarrett, he was part of the Martin coaching tree. And we saw Mike Martin retire. There was already people that thought that weren't fans of him. You see his son hired and fired after three years. Does Does Mike Alford want to step away from the, the Martin family, right? Does he want to just completely fresh start and a new look for this Florida State program? I've got no clue. Um, Link Jarrett, obviously, we've seen him have success now as a head coach, away from the Martins, but he was a part of the staff. Like, this is a guy that, I don't know, do you want to just keep, it, would it be a status quo hire? I don't think so, but I'm trying to get into the mind of Mike Alford and what he might be thinking. It's certainly kind of, Interesting, because there's a little bit of a history at Florida State of kind of hiring in-house. Jimbo Fisher, when he got the job, he was uh, hired originally as the offensive coordinator and was kind of a bit of kind of the Bobby Bowden coaching Mm -hmm. tree. Uh, Mike, obviously, Martin Jr., when he got hired, he was an an assistant here for about like 200 years before (laughs) he eventually got the job. Uh, Jennifer Hyde, the women's tennis coach, is an FSU alum. There Mm -hmm. is a kind of strong history at Florida State of hiring in-house. And obviously, you know, there are benefits to that. It's a home run to the fans. Fans maybe feel more connected to uh, certain coaches that they can identify with. But you also want to make sure that you're hiring the best person for the job. And sometimes the best person for the job is not always going to be uh, someone that's maybe going to be in kind of within your circle. And for this program, it may, if you're Michael Alford, it may be helpful to kind of look outside and we, and be thinking, huh, I think this program need, there's, we need to kind of refresh some things yeah. here. We need to change some things. We need a little shock of electricity in there. And if you're potentially looking at a guy that's under the Mike Martin coaching system, then maybe you're not going to get kind of that shock of electricity that this program could need that could elevate them to a higher level, the standard that uh, FSU baseball fans certainly have come to expect uh, because of the work of Eleven and kind of the success that he was able to have here. Yeah, I mean the other another candidate just kind of throwing names out here. I, I don't know what his interest would be. Uh, would be Jamie Shoup over at at FAMU, um, former Florida State assistant. I think there's some there's some politics there between Coach Shoup and the Martin family, and he was part of that coaching tree, but I don't think really considers himself to be a part of that anymore. Um, maybe he's interested. Uh, he's like 61 years old, though, has had a lot of success at FAMU. 
I don't know what he wants to do with, with the rest of his career. Um, but it should be interesting, right? And when, when a new hire is made, I think it'll be like, like it'll hit that refresh button and no matter who it is, and, and hopefully they, they pick the best man for the job. Um, I, I guess I can't really avoid it anymore. We got to talk about the Stanley Cup final, Colorado Avalanche, Tampa Bay Lightning. Game three is about 30 minutes away from, from puck drop. It's listed as 8 o'clock, but the puck won't drop until like 8, 10, 8, 15. Yeah. You, got, you got to do all the cool graphics on the ice, make, make, make it look yeah. like it's a thunderstorm and have all the graphics and sound, sound effects and the pyro. You got like, mm-hmm. you know, you got to take fi- 15 minutes to like really jazz it up for a potential like five nothing beat down. But oh, Scott, oh man. So I was, so the Avalanche lead the series two nothing. Um, first game, they won four to three in overtime. It was a great game. The Lightning fell behind, clawed back in, lost in overtime. Great hockey game. You're thinking, okay, this is going to be a great series between the two time defending Stanley Cup champions and maybe the, the, the best team this year in the league so far, the Colorado Avalanche. Then game two happens. Um, I got to set the scene. I was in Tampa this weekend. I had a three day weekend. It was Father's Day weekend. I drove back today. Um, so met up with some some old high school and college buddies, and was thinking, all right, let's go to the watch party they have at Emily Arena. Game two was in Denver. Uh, let's go. It was ten bucks to get in the door. Right. Uh, let's go to downtown Tampa. Let's meet up. Let's have some beverages. You know, we don't get to see each other that often because I live up in Tallahassee. And let's go. Ten bucks. Can't beat that, right? Go watch the game on the big jumbotron be around some other Lightning fans. So we get in. It was great. They, you know, it was, they don't sell every seat, but it was a good crowd there. It was loud with that puck drop. Uh, you know, we paid my, my, my $12 for, for a 16-ounce beverage or whatever it is in a can. And, uh, you, you know, I think I paid like 10 bucks for like a fraction of a Bloomin' Onion um, at the Outback vendor and uh, sat down and, and it was going to enjoy the game until it, it quickly got out of hand and the Lightning were just... just absolutely getting torched by an incredibly talented, incredibly fast, physical, and clinical avalanche team. And first goal goes in and kind of grow and you think, okay, we've been here before. We can claw back. Second goal goes in. You're thinking, oh, no. Like this, that second goal is when it looks like this is just not going to be their night. Maybe they, they make it interesting. Then 3 nothing. then first intermission. And we're kind of sitting there thinking, you know, we go and get some more food, maybe one more beverage. And and it's kind of when it kicked in, it's like, how pathetic do I look right here paying $10 and all this money on concessions to sit inside an arena and the game's not happening in front of me. I'm looking at the ice. I'm I'm watching the game on the Jumbotron. uh, And and I'm sure it would have been a great time had the Lightning been winning or had it even been a had they even scored a goal. It would have been great to sit there and celebrate amongst other Lightning fans. Instead, we were all just kind of sitting there, sitting on our hands as the fourth goal goes in, and then the fifth goal goes in. And I don't know what happened after that because we left. I mean, I, I'm not one for leaving sporting events early, but this wasn't a sporting event. I mean, we're sitting here in an arena watching on a screen that's maybe only slightly bigger than the projector at a Buffalo Wild Wings. And uh, but it, hey, you were having you were have you were with good company. With good food, good drinks, and see, I would have even... said that if we were watching a hockey game in person. We weren't though. We were watching on a jumbotron, and I'll be honest, my seats were like in the corner. It wasn't even a great view of the jumbotron. I had to like crane my neck to watch the game the entire time. It was it was wait, not a wait, good time. Wait, you wait, you had assigned seats. Yeah, it wasn't even general you, admission. It wait, 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 pause. You had assigned seats to watch a hockey game that wasn't even happening in the place in that the you building. were. No. Yeah, it, it's Good. a bit ridiculous now. Right? We, we were very pathetic. 
But I'm sure it would have been great. I would have been had a, it would have been a great night Good if Lightning had won. Lord, man. Like in, in, that that's honestly like I mean Good business on the on the part of like Emily Arena and the Tampa Bay oh, Lightning, yeah. but like, she, God, you were screwed. But like, I don't know. I'm gonna like comment a little bit on the game. I think I know I had fun kind of ribbing you about this <laughs> potential uh, five nothing. I don't think it's gonna be like that. I think it's gonna be like I think Tampa Bay is gonna going to respond more in game three a little one because they really have to if they Mm -hmm. i think if they want a shot in the series you have to show a little bit of life here but also you know colorado is just a team where it's like they are so aggressive and they are so Mm -hmm. fast and when they when they are on they are on and they will pour it on you but if you can excuse me if you can slow down their tempo a little bit you get a Bav Seleski, uh, I butchered that name so no, bad. No, I think you pretty but, much got it. Yeah, and close enough. If yeah, close enough. If you get him performing at the standard that you're expected to, one of the best goalkeepers in 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 the league, then you saw in Game One, Tampa Bay still has a very strong chance in this game, and they just have to get back to playing their style. Style. They have to go back to playing their game. They have to control. They have to dominate the game and keep. Keep in mind, Tampa Bay is a team that's been here before. They've they've won back to back Stanley Cups now. This could this could be their third. Colorado is the is the hot young thing the on, the block, on the block, right? Yeah. They're 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 the new team that has to go prove themselves. And if you're if you're Lightning, like yeah, you're probably a little nervous, kind of looking at the box score of that last game. But you're also like, you know what? We've been here before. These guys know how to how to do it. You're feeling a little more comfortable probably about this game than had it been reversed and your Colorado that gets shut out seven nothing then you're probably you're less nervous where you are now than would be vice versa I'm, I'm not even worried about the seven nothing score that's such a big number but by the halfway through the or even really the start of the second period that game was over and I, it didn't really matter what the final score was um but I, I yes the lightning have been there before. I don't know if they've been here in this situation against a team of this caliber. Now, I say this as a Lightning fan. You know, the, the, these last two seasons have been incredible, two Stanley Cups, but and not to take anything away from those accomplishments, but you look at how, who they played in the Stanley, in each final. You, you played Dallas in 2020 in a, in a bubble, no fans, in Canada, uh, and you won in six games. So Dallas is a very good team, but they're not, they weren't like an avalanche type of team. Uh, and then you play last year, you play Montreal, uh, who got through th- uh, in the Canadian division. And then, you know, two teams from the Eastern Conference playing for the Stanley Cup. It felt weird. Montreal, you look at how they performed this year, and you know that they're not the same level of franchise, the same t- level of roster that the Lightning or the Avalanche have. And so to, to get here now, yes, I know they fought, fought from down 3-2 against Toronto in the first round. And they went down 2-0 to New York in the Eastern Conference Finals and then won the next four games. I think they might have met their match. I hope I'm wrong, uh, but now you're at Game Three and Game Four. You you got to take both in Tampa. If you go back to if you split in Tampa and go back to um, uh, to to Denver, Colorado down three one. I mean you've got no shot. I just don't see the Lightning winning a game in Denver. And now they have to. They have to win at least one. You've got three games left in the series that'll be at home, and you got to win at least one in Denver. That's if you win all three home games. And I'm not convinced. 
that the Lightning, who are also without Braden Point again tonight, just broke that he is not on the ice for warmups. So you're without, you know, maybe your second best skater um, throughout the regular season, and they were able to get through some other games without Braden Point. They were able to get through the whole last round without him. But you'd like to have him now, and you'd like to have him healthy now. And I think it's just going to be that much tougher. The, 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 the Avalanche are so fast. I mean, they remind me of the Lightning teams from, from maybe two, three, four years ago. Um, the way they played in the Lightning had to get more physical. Uh, but the Avalanche, they've got that physicality as well to go with the speed. They're, they're so clinical. Guys like McKinnon are just, he's the best player on the ice right now, uh, skater-wise. I still think Vasilevsky is the, the, I think he's the best hockey player on the, in the, on the planet. But he hasn't, you know, looked himself. He's led up 11 goals through two games. Um, there's even talk that he probably should have been pulled going into the third period of, of game two. But, I, I, I mean, I think the Lightning will win at least one. And now if you win two, you tie it up. Who knows what could happen in games five, six, and seven. As a Lightning fan, though, I'm just not confident. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting. And it's probably going to be the, it's certainly going to be the toughest test that uh, this Lightning team has had in this run. If uh, maybe a little premature to call it a dynasty, but it could in this kind of run of stellar form that we have seen. Ultimately, if I had to make a prediction going from right now, I would probably say Avs and six. Okay. Mate, I'm I'm confident in Tampa come uh like making it two two one tonight. Maybe you get uh maybe you tie it up two two game four, maybe it's game five where you get it, but but I see the series ultimately finishing in color. Colorado surrounded s- surrounded by a bunch of happy avalanche fans singing blink 182 and <laughs> uh whether that's in 6 whether that's in 7 I don't know I'm I personally lean towards 6 looking at kind of the form I've seen both teams in but ul- ultimately that's how I see the series playing out Yeah I, mean, I think the Lightning if they if they win tonight I I just don't know what Braden Point's status is Obviously, you're down 2-0. It's not ideal. Um, they're they're capable of coming back in this series and making it interesting. I just don't know if they can win four out of the next six or four out of the next five games uh, to, to 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 win your third straight Stanley Cup. And that like whatever happens, like Lightning have won the last two Stanley Cups. As a fan, I'm I'm more than pleased. It would be incredible to three P and be the first team in 40 years to do that when the Islanders won four in a row in the early 80s. Uh, and I think I, I found it from a friend. The NHL like. They have official classifications for dynasties. You need to win four Stanley Cups within a period to be considered a quote-unquote dynasty by the NHL. Like That is something they, the, the distinction they give to teams hasn't happened since the early 80s. So, yes, it would be nice to you know get that third in a row. Uh, but if, if this is it, you know that we talk about the Warriors and how their, their window, and I, they've been compared. The two franchises have been, kind of been compared in how they operate. If, if that window is closing for this Lightning core, the Kucherov, Hedman, Stamkos core, uh, you know, it, it's been a great it's been a great run to Stanley Cups, and I, I couldn't be happier. But my advice to you just as a fan is to just enjoy this moment. Because I'm, I'm sitting here right now in a Blackhawks shirt, uh, kind of clinging on to the success of three Cups in five years, and now kind of looking at our team in complete disarray. Complete disarray. Deservedly so, but mm-hmm. still, my advice for you is to just like enjoy 
you know, oh, enjoy the highs yes. while you have it because you never, like, you never know what's going to happen next and you never know when it's going to come down. I have for and, sure. It's, it, it, it has been a, a wild ride. We'll see. I, I think they're favored tonight ever so slightly back at home. But, um, if the, yeah, if that window's closing, who knows? But they're still, they've still, like, Braden Point's still young. They, Tony Sorelli's still young. Andre Vasilevsky's still young. And Steven Stamkos is only like 31. So I know we try, you know, he feels really? like he's an old man. Yeah, because he's been on the team for, for like 15 years now. I, yeah, if if you had to, if I had to throw a number out, I would have said something like 55. Like that, like I feel like that guy's been there forever, it feels like. It, well, he has been there forever, and he started when he was 18. He is 32 years old. That's uh, crazy. Kucherov's younger than that. Hedman's right around the same age. So I mean, th- this window can stay open for the Lightning. We'll, we'll, we'll just have to see. Uh, before we wrap up, I gotta. have you seen Top Gun Maverick yet? I have not, no. Scott, you need to go see it in theaters. Right. I have seen the Bob's Burgers movie. That You went You went but, to the movie theater when Top Gun was out and you chose to see Bob's Burgers? Uh, heck yeah. Was it any good? Yeah, it was good. It was exactly what you expected out of a Bob's Burgers movie, right? Which like, not I'm not going to walk away from the theater being like, this is a cinematic masterpiece that is going to completely change the history of film. But I was walking out of it after a couple beverages, and I was like, you know what? I had a good time. Like, it was like it was a good movie. It met expectations, and uh, I like it was a good time. It was a good time. Well, this was a lot of fun. It was. It's always fun hopping back in studio, filling, filling in for William. Well, they're you know enjoying their summer break, and we're here in Tallahassee, you know, doing all their work for him, right? <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm only playing. Uh, I'm only half joking, right? So that's going to do it for Tomahawk Talk this week. Thank you guys for listening. If you missed a second of the show, you can go back and listen to it as a podcast. Just search Tomahawk Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, next week, I believe you'll have William back in on a pre-recorded episode, but. Uh, that's going to do it. Thank you to our producer and co-host tonight, Scott Clemens. I'm Brett Rutherford, and you're listening to WVFS, the voice of Florida State.